Hello and welcome to this GCP short produced in collaboration with Maxis Global Benefits Network and all about how and why to enhance employee benefits by using a captive. Joining me for the next 20 minutes or so is Aaron Brown, Regional Manager for UK and Ireland at Maxis and Sven Rolant, Global Leader for EV Captive Services at Aon. Aaron and Sven discuss how companies are improving benefits for their employees by using a captive, the new coverage being enabled and the keys to success in implementation. But first, Sven starts by explaining some of the other international employee benefit program structures that are in use today. When looking at the, the traditional risk financing spectrum for employee benefits, over the last five years, we've seen a clear move from the traditional pooling solutions to the more sophisticated programs such as global underwriting and captives. This is not to say that that pooling is dead, absolutely not. If you look at the, the total market premium captured, pooling is still the market leader. But um, what you see is that pooling over time, uh, the total premium captured is gradually uh, decreasing, a little bit at least. Global underwriting in that first period of, of, of the five years that I'm talking about, it had a steep increase. But now the last two years, again there too, you see a stagnation at least, uh, maybe a slight decrease even. Uh, and then if you look at the ultimate part or the last section of those, those five years that I'm trying to refer to. There's definitely a lot of interest in, in captive and it's almost all about captive. And I, I, I tend to group them into two uh, big sections, which is on one hand market circumstances and on the other hand typical solution drivers. And when I start with the market circumstances, I'm thinking of inevitably COVID which brought HR and risk together. It's something that in the captive space we've been asking for for 10 years and yeah. all of a sudden overnight it happened. They were talking to each other. We were on the phone with both of them. So that definitely helped. A second element in that area of market circumstances is the fact that we're today looking at 120 to 150 Probably there are some programs that are double counted, so I'll keep it at 120 out there, which means that the solution is coming from, oh, this is something exotic for a few uh, people that really are dedicated to it, into a very diligent question to ask yourself as a multinational, is it something for us? And then the final part, which kind of surprised me, but that's because I'm, a, I'm a, an EB guy. Uh, the, the hardening market on the PNC side is also driving that uh, because typically, and I learned that over the last couple of years, uh, when the market in, on the PNC side is hardening, captives will look for diversification of risk. Yeah. And taking into account COVID, taking into account the number of EB programs and more attention towards EB programs, EB has moved up that rank of potential risks to include into a captive. So all that together from a market perspective is driving into the direction of captive. Then looking at the solution drivers, and I won't go too much into detail because I think all the, the big uh, captive EB programs that you've already had on your sessions have uh, to a large extent already commented on it, but you've got the flexibility, you've got the governance, you've got the finance, but especially the flexibility I would like to highlight today because each and every conversation we're having with our clients is around diversity, equity and inclusion. And that's where the flexibility element 
and the captive is coming forward to excel so a lot of the the comments that sven just made i think they're kind of underpinned by data and data is such a key driver for multinationals to go captive or to or for risk managers to start wanting to take eb through in into the captive so if I look at medical premiums, surprisingly, from an EB side, you always think you know the non-life market is is much bigger, and, and, it, and it probably is. It, in fact, it, it is. So, but what's surprising is actually the size of some of the medical premiums compared to the non-life premiums, and what you're seeing on the medical side, and what we're very aware of um, from from the EB fronting networks is is trend, and that really impacting the performance of the schemes. The renewal increases that you see over, uh, year over year. So data really is something that the captives uh, want to get their hands on. They want to start understanding what's driving their medical plans, what's driving their performance, um, resulting in trying to make their employees um, and their workforce a much healthier uh, workforce, a much more productive workforce. So um, yeah, data is something that, that the captives are really looking for at the moment. I really like that phrase you used right at the beginning there, Aaron, go captive, which I've not heard before. It sounds like it should be a marketing slogan, the future Maxis EV marketing slogan, go captive. So we're going to get into more of those kind of reasons why um, captives are becoming increasingly common and, and the benefits they can bring to wider to the wider organization in a second. But Sven, bearing in mind we discussed what some of those other alternatives are, when you do then include a captive into the program, how does it change the ultimate structure of the employee benefits program by including a captive? Well, I would actually say that to one extent, it doesn't change much. And then on the other hand, it does. And I'll start with why it doesn't really change a lot. It's because if you already have a pooling uh, program in place, uh, the flow of uh, the setup isn't much altered by reinsurance to captive because that reinsurance to captive bit sits at the end. You still have your fronting insurer locally that then seats the risk to the network and you just add another layer which is the layer of the network making a retrocession to the, to the captive. So in that respect, there's not a lot of change. And for that reason also, uh, I believe unless benefits are enriched, and we'll probably come back to that later in, in the conversation, but unless benefits are enriched, um, most of the employees won't even notice that there's a reinsurance to captive in place because nothing is altered at the local level. On the other hand, um, why do I say that, yes, it does impact the structure uh, to some extent? It's because it fundamentally influences the renewal dynamics. And um, including it into a captive means that you're taking the ultimate risk as a captive. And that means that it's no longer the insurance company that is going to drive your process around renewal. And renewal is not just around pricing, it's around many other things as well. But pricing is one of them. But it's no longer the insurance company that is going to drive that process. You as a captive need to take ownership and need to make sure that you you stay one step ahead of what is local market practice. Because if not, you lose control. And the only way to do that is to focus on communication and make sure that you include your local stakeholders in that communication, in that program, that you engage them and that they know what's coming. Aaron, in regards to the quality and scope of the benefits that companies can offer uh, once they've included the captive, how does that change once the captive is in place? How does, how does it ultimately benefit the employees? Yeah, and that's one of the major reasons as to why 
you know, captives want to start taking employee benefits, right? Because they have much wider, much more control over what benefits look like for, for, for their employees. So really, it does enable them to offer a much wider scope of coverage for their employees. And also, uh, by utilising the captive, it pushes the fronting insurers. And this is this is what we've seen really, I guess, over the last kind of 10 years or so. Um, but they're really starting to push and um, push the fronting networks, push the fronting insurers to move with what they want. So we're seeing it at the moment really um, triggered again by, by, the, by the pandemic, but what I call kind of like an equalisation of benefits. So what we saw in markets such as India is for their risk benefits. So I'm, th- I'm talking group life. Their group life offering to employees in India was actually a lot lower than what they're offering to employees in the rest of the world. So it was a, it was a, it was a bit of a gap that they needed to address. But over the pandemic, the Indian market shut down. They couldn't increase their um, salary multiples. So they were really kind of stuck with a bit of an outlier. And we saw it in other markets as well, but India was definitely uh, one of them. So really, once the market reopened, uh, they were really able to start addressing them and lifting up and equalizing that benefits across the entire workforce. You know, we're, we're seeing it again with uh, multi-year rate guarantees as well. So a lot of the captives that we're working with now are looking at applying multi-year rate guarantees on their life programs because they are much more predictable um, compared to some of the non-life lines that the captives are taking. That, by adopting that multi-year rate guarantee approach, enables the captive to actually start working with the benefits team in-house to develop or create medical programs, which is the core spend of any uh, multinational organisation when it comes to benefits, but really addressing and creating a plan which is relevant for the group of employees in that local market. So I would say that overall, by utilising the captive, it definitely widens the scope of benefits that, that the captive can that the captive can take, um, but also trying to enrich some of the programs that they have within the within the um, business at the uh, at the moment. Yeah, the start of this uh, podcast series in 2022, we've had recently on uh, Microsoft and Heineken their, their benefits teams talking about their captive. The Heineken one very new, the Microsoft one been in place for a long, long time. And it struck me as really interesting that the, the kind of enthusiasm that both those benefits teams are talking about their captive and captain what it's enabled them to do for employees. You could kind of see that they're really proud of what they're able to offer their colleagues by by using the captive so taking on that a step further Sven how can the captive position itself to to be a real value add to employees of the group yeah well I think it's it's even a, a broader thing I mean captives and we see that in in various articles and in interviews uh, in in the industry captives are taking a more important role within companies and here for me uh, when we look at employee benefits captives are the tool that uh, allow employers to use employee benefits to support their employer branding yeah and that's something that is very important today it's a conversation that we're almost always having with our clients and that's what they're looking for and specifically to to the end users so the the, the employees the end stakeholders um, what we're seeing is the traditional elements that we would bring forward in a captive conversation ex gracia claims i do second some of the comments that i've heard from the heineken and the, and the microsoft people that being able to see where you're required to allow for ex gracia claims does give you insights on the plan design as well 
Uh, and I think that's a, a very important element. But it allows for ex gracia claims, so that's definitely to the benefit of, of employees. It allows for exclusion, uh, for waiver of certain exclusions, which talks to the uh, diversity, equity and inclusion. And then there is the very specific topic itself around diversity, equity and inclusion, and that goes into the direction of gender dysphoria, uh, fertility treatment, autism, and, and, and covers like that that are today top of every conversation, I would say. And more and more companies are looking into, can we do something through our captive to accommodate that request? We too, at Aeon, we're spending today a lot of resources and time in trying to design a solution that will help our clients in that direction. And without any doubt, when we have that solution, the first clients that we'll be able to implement it will be captive clients because of the fact that they're taking the risk on board. The insurers will need to have some time to get comfortable with it, but the captives will drive the innovation. Yeah, I'll just touch on one other area as well is what we see on the in the group life market free cover limits. So the requirement for, you know, is usually kind of senior executives or um, senior management to undergo medical underwriting by utilizing the captive. There's they can set the free cover limit at whatever they feel is necessary. We do have clients within Maxis that multinationals say we don't want any employee going through medical underwriting. We want to set the free cover limit way above the, the highest sum assured so again there's some real kind of value adds directly to to employees on the ground in those local markets in terms of uh, specific coverages then aaron which kind of new or, or specific coverages are you seeing captives enable to, to be available that might not have been included by the commercial market firstly pandemic exclusions so flexibility to cover uh, covid19 claims um, so the captive market stepped in um, to be able to address those types of claims removing those exclusions um, so standard in the market that um, was completely uh, you know if it's a COVID-19 claim then yeah it's not covered um, but the captive was obviously able to to remove those exclusions um, to again benefit uh, employees in the local market Aside from uh, COVID-19 and pandemic exclusions is, again, suicide and mental health. We have a number of captives that we've really worked on the last, again, 24, 36 months, really, um, to address those types of exclusions. I would say it's been heightened because of the uh, COVID situation and people being locked down, working from home. Um, but again, removing those types of exclusions on both the, the risk and the medical markets, uh, medical lines, uh, again, another way that the captive can really kind of step in. I think, Sven, you touched on it earlier around DE&I. Um, with most really sophisticated or strategic captives now looking at coverage for, for things such as, um, or coverage for same-sex couples, uh, gender reassignment. We're also seeing kind of treatments uh, and inclusion for, for menopausal type treatments. So again, I would say that there's a few steps. A lot of the more sophisticated captives are probably at step two and step three. So those pandemic and um, the DE&I um, type exclusions. I believe we'll also see a much broader uh, number of captives adapt the tailored health and well-being tailored to the local countries based on the captive data. We know that there's a few very sophisticated captives out there that are already doing it, but I think that the majority of the other EB captives will gradually evolve also in that direction. And that's also something where the captive market will drive the, 
the, the industry. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and on the DE and I that you, you've both mentioned as well, and this is a topic I've brought up with some of your colleagues uh, separately from this, is also ESG. I mean, obviously, there's a huge uh, drive at companies on their ESG agenda and how can they use their captive for kind of betterment or to help betterment initiatives. And it's going to be really interesting to see how captive owners start to kind of uh, quantify or assess what their benefits are doing on in the ESG topic. And that's another place captives have a big role to play. So, Aaron, obviously, traditionally, these programs can be have been very very profitable and profits could then be either retained by the captive or or sent back to the group it's obviously up to each individual case how they deal with those profits do you see that strategy changing at all can a can a profitable um, eb program be actually used to rather than send the money back to group be used to enhance the benefits further yeah absolutely i mean i would say a good chunk of the captives that that we work with they want a price at break even that's that's the that's their goal that's our ambition and what we've definitely seen over the last 20 four months again triggered by um, triggered by the the pandemic and COVID-19 is that captives were much more profitable than they expected or wanted to be Um, you know I've seen captives with multi-million dollars worth of underwriting profit that they're sat on and they're thinking okay so how how can I use this and what can I use this for? And that's where the coordination with um, the global benefits teams and the global HR teams really comes in comes into play because what we've definitely seen over the last few years is captives wanting to fund health and wellness programs. So touching on, uh, Sven, what you mentioned in, in your comments earlier, but really being able to fund whether it be a global solution for all employees. So I think of um, solutions focusing on mental health you could be tackling regional issues driven by the data that the networks and, and the global uh, broking teams are being able to provide, regional type health and wellness solutions, but also from a local level, really addressing any gaps in the local insurer propositions by dropping in a global solution into those local markets funded by the captive, again, is is definitely a trend that we've seen over the last, uh, as I said, 24 to, to 36 months. There's always a bit of a topic on return on investment. So if we are going to um, you know, fund these types of health and wellness programs, what are we going to get back? And, and the ultimate ambition, obviously, is to make employees healthier, and then you hopefully be able to see a drop in your claims. But again, the justification is really by using the data that you can get your hands on now. It's much more transparent than it was 5, 10, 15 years ago. By using that data, you can really explain to, I don't know, your CFOs or your finance directors, okay, if I tackle this issue that we know we have in this specific market, this is the return on investment. Yeah, fascinating. Now, this final question is almost a whole other podcast in itself. And I think we probably have done a podcast on this topic before, but we've talked about all the benefits of, of why increasingly organizations are using captives in their international employee benefits programs in terms of actually actioning it i know aaron you and i've had a few conversations we know there are risk managers out there at the moment who want to go down this route it's just they haven't got the time and resource necessary to do it right now what are the keys then to successfully implementing a, a captive backed employee benefits program well for me to get the obvious one out of the way immediately uh, I'll, I'll start by saying that the project the captive project the captive eb project for me needs to be carried across the functions and across the different levels so you have to go across hr compan procurement risk finance and across 
head office level and local levels and everybody needs to be convinced that that is a good solution for them and the way to do that is to to eliminate the concerns of each function and to drive on uh, their qualities because I take an example in general what you will see is that HR when you talk about captive things oh risk is going to take over the design of my benefits you need to comfort HR and say no this is not going to happen this is not the role of risk in this is in this project uh, in the same way uh, when you look at procurement they need to be on board they need to understand the long-term uh, benefit from using a captive and not each and every year going and finding the lowest price in each and every local market so that type of coordination is really crucial for me now when I look at all these great companies that we've already mentioned and, and there's more uh, that are out there I see a few common denominators I see the dedication that they have and that very much relates to the first point I made but also the resources and the experience that they have to run their programs uh, and that's where I see that today probably several multinationals would like to leverage on the possibilities that reinsurance to captive offers but they're holding back because they're thinking we don't have the resources we don't have the experience and that's very important and that's actually the driver for us aeon to create captive employee benefit services as a team which i'm leading today because our sole mission and it's a simple one but a challenging one is to allow our clients to allow multinationals to run their eb captive program on the same resources then they would run a regular well-managed pooling program and I think if we can fix that together with the networks in partnership with the networks because partnership is a key word in, in a captive environment it's a long-term effort you're in for the long haul and uh, of course you can have arguments you can discuss but there needs to be trust between the insurer, the client and the consultant. Uh, because in the end, after the discussions, everybody needs to be confident that they will walk away with something that works for them. And so that's why we, we very much focus on partnering with the networks in designing a solution that works for a broader scope of multinationals that maybe today don't have the expertise and don't have the resources to deploy a program uh, of reinsurance to captive. Yeah, and I think communication also is a really kind of key piece in implementing a successful captive. I mean, I've been in the industry 10 years and, uh, you know, the team that I work with um, also a, a bit longer than 10. So we've definitely seen varying success when it comes to the implementation of, of EVB captives. I would typically say that it can move a little slow in, in, in the first couple of years. And I think that's really um, down to the communication because the communication and, and the comforting of... Um, um, you know, the benefits teams really can take some time. It's to echo Sven's comments around, you know, are the risk team or the captive team going to take away the control of benefits because I'm going to start using the captive? Well, actually, no, they're actually here to, to help you and to help better um, the types of benefits that you could be offering to employees. So it's an education piece. It's a communication piece, which I think is really quite, really quite cru uh, crucial. But I would also say there has been a shift um, as well. I think traditionally captives or employee benefits for captives 
has always been, okay, it's a real global initiative and we're going to do every single country and that's the, that's the objective. We'll move every country into the captive. Well, now what we're definitely seeing is a shift to say, okay, well, we want to focus on a specific region. I actually had a, a captive on board with us in the middle of last year, which focused purely on one country and that was India. And that was purely driven by, by the pandemic. It was a key strategic population for, for that business. And because of the market conditions, I think, you know, they're expecting a 60, 70, 80% rate increase. But actually, by using the captive and the captive backing um, that line, they ended up with a 30 or 40% rate increase. So again, there has been that shift from um, an all to actually, no, let's focus on some real key strategic populations. I'd also say that captives now want to start working with networks that are focusing on innovation. They understand right now that there might be solutions, there might be products that aren't in the market at the moment, but the networks that know they're not in the market and are really trying to drive the market to develop and create those solutions um, that are relevant for, for those employees and those uh, multinational clients is, a, again, another area of focus um, and a big decision maker, I would say, for some of the multinationals that are now thinking about going captive. Well, thank you to Aaron Brown at Maxis Global Benefits Network and Aon Sven Roland for that great discussion on International EB. If you would like further information on Maxis, then do visit their friend of the podcast page on globalcaptivepodcast.com or follow the links in the episode show notes. Otherwise, stay safe, stay well, and see you next time, captives.